Well, good morning. You can have a seat if you will. Glad to see everybody this morning. If um, you're new here, glad you're here. If you're old here, glad you're here. So uh, it's just good to see you. Excited to be able to share um, what's on my heart with you from God's Word this morning. Uh, we've been in a series for a few weeks. I think it's the fourth week now of this series called Grace, the Power of God, where we're looking at this as Peter, uh, the Apostle Peter calls it in First Peter, this multifaceted, manifold uh, grace of God. Um, and so we've been looking at this, just some different uh, attributes of grace, how God works through his grace, his um, grace being his unconditional love, his unmerited favor, but also um, because of that, grace is also the power of God to change us. We're saved, uh, as, we'll, as you hear a lot of times, um, we are saved uh, by grace through faith, but we're also changed and transformed by grace through faith. And so this is a lot of the stuff we've been looking at. So um, I'm ready to jump into this. Uh, if you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going to read a few verses here, and then uh, we'll pray and get into the message. Um, I want to set it up for you real quick, though, in this passage, because what we're reading is where Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's going to the city of Jerusalem uh, where the Jews uh, had their temple. They would make different pilgrimages there for worship. And so he's gone into Jerusalem uh, with the purpose of He's going to go there to die. He's going there to hang on the cross uh, for our sin, to die, and we know to be buried three days later, to be raised. And so um, that, this is his pur purpose. At the very beginning of Mark chapter 11 uh, is the triumphal entry where he comes in. Everybody's yelling, Hosanna, um, basically claiming him to be the Messiah, to be the king. And then a week later, many of those same people are yelling, crucify him. And so this is the part of Scripture where we're, we're looking at. Now, if you go down to verse 12, um, Jesus is going from Bethany, which was a city, uh, going to Jerusalem. As he's going, he sees this fig tree. And the fig tree is leafy. It's, it's during the springtime, so it's not the time for uh, fig trees to have a full ripe fig. But he sees this, and, and during this time of the year, they would have a bud on them that was also edible. And so he sees the leaves, and he walks up to this tree, but there's nothing to eat on it, right? And so he looks at the tree, and he curses the tree. Later, they come back by, and this tree is, is shriveled. It's dead. And we look at that sometimes, and we think, like, well, that's kind of cruel, right? Jesus just killed a tree because he was hungry. I mean, that's like being hangry, right? He's just like... Yeah, you know, stupid tree, he curses it. But there's a bigger purpose behind this, and that's what we're about to see. Um, Mark laid out this gospel intentionally, putting that there um, with what we're about to read. And so as Jesus goes on, after cursing this fig tree, it says in verse 15 of Mark 11, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers, and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Today, I really just want to share my heart about this passage, but also about 
our church, this body of believers. Before we do that, um, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning that we can open your word. I thank you, Lord, that we can come and we can sing to you. We can worship you, give you the worship that you so deserve. Lord, I pray that in the next few minutes you would do a great work in our heart. Lord, we need you. Um, Lord, more than we realize. And we need you right now, Lord. Whether we walked in here with a sense of the world falling apart or we walked in with a sense of I've got it under control. Lord, we need you. And I pray you'll speak to our hearts this morning. I pray that we would drop our pride, any religious facade. And God, we would just humble ourselves before you, trusting and believing in your word. God, that it would sink deeply into our hearts and produce incredible fruit in our lives. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So how many of you, let's start out with a question. How many of you have ever been somewhere and like when you got there, you walked in the doors or you got to where you were going, you did not feel very welcome? Anybody ever done that? Like you just walked in a place and you knew kind of immediately, like, I don't think I belong here. Anybody ever done that? When I was probably 10 years old, my dad and I went to a golf course and it was a pretty nice country club. We come rolling up. We're not really country club people, if you know what I mean. And so we roll up here and we go in and it was, it felt like this. It may not have been, but for me at 10 years old, this was the perception. It felt like when we opened the doors and walked in, it was like, like every eye, right? Looking at us, just like turned just right on us. And so, um, started feeling uncomfortable. Well, we go in, we pay, we do whatever we need to do. We finally get out the door. And once we're out the door, I'm like, Oh, thank God. We can just go, go play golf now. Well, we go and we're waiting to tee off on uh, one of the holes. And so there was a, a group of older gentlemen, I'd say the median age was probably 82 and they're getting ready to tee off. There's four of them. And so we're getting ready, uh, you know, to go after them. So I just get out of the cart. I've got my driver just kind of swinging it a little bit, just, you know, getting loose, getting ready. And when I swing, I swing kind of hard. Well, I accidentally hit the ground. It takes a divot about this big and it's like, it's in slow motion. This divot is just flying through the air and I'm watching it and I'm like, it's going to hit that guy. <laughs> Hits him like here. So dirt just goes all over him, face, head, everything, right? And, and it didn't help that feeling I had of not being wanted. Like the looks we got then were way worse than the looks we got before. And I remember that because I felt so uncomfortable. And even after that day, every time I'd go back to that place, I had anxiety in my, in my stomach. I didn't want to really go. I wanted to go play, but I didn't want to go in. I didn't want to be there. I felt really nervous and anxious and, you know, just, just not really wanting to, to go back to that environment. And I thought about that this week. And I thought about how, how many people feel that when they go to church when they go to worship, because their experience at some point in life, and I had this one too, was you walked in the doors and people looked at you like, what are you doing here? Anybody else had that? 
What are you doing? You feel anxiety. Um, Many times you don't go back because of that feeling. You feel unwanted, like you can't belong. And so when we do that, um, it really hinders us. It hinders us from being able to come into a group of people like this, who maybe they don't look like us. Maybe they don't smell like us, right? Maybe they're just very different. They just come in, they're very different. There's that anxiety and that feeling that they have. And here's the thing that I think about, guys, is, and this is what the Lord, the, the one phrase I feel like the Lord put on my heart about this, is that this should be a house of grace. This should be a house of grace. This should be a place where people know they can come in and be loved. That they can come in and, and that this, the, these people, not this building, but the people who gather here are known as a people who love. Known as a people who can point you to hope. Known as a people who won't judge you for where you've been but can see the potential of where you're going, can see the potential of what God's doing or will do in your life. And see, it's pretty applicable to what we're reading here because Jesus, he sees this fig tree and he curses this fig tree because it looked like it was fruitful. It looked like it should have fruit on it, but it had none. And then he goes to this temple and and in this temple, they're they're selling um, all kinds of animals for sacrifice uh, in this outer courts of the temple. And and they're, they're exchanging money and they're doing these things so that the Jewish people can go and make their sacrifice and give their offerings. So they would come and they would buy these animals to then take them in to sacrifice them. And this was big business. This outer court was pretty big. You kind of got the temple. You had these four divisions. You had the Holy of Holies in the middle that one priest one time a year went into to make sacrifice for the sins of the Jews. You had the next court a little bit further out that was for the men, the circumcised men, mostly Jewish men. You had the next court a little bit further out that was for the, the women. Sorry, ladies, right? But they were out there, and then the ones that were seen even worse were the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And so there was this outer court, and that's what we're talking about, is this big outer court that was actually the area for the Jewish, I mean, for the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people to go to worship. But in this court, they're there, and there's all kinds of animals there that they're selling. They're exchanging money. There were so many animals, listen, It's hard to even fathom this, but there's a historian by the name of Josephus who recorded this, that in AD 66, okay, 66 years um, after what we know as the birth of Christ, right? 66 AD, when the temple, this temple that was being built during Jesus's life was finished. He said, as he recorded it, there were over 255,000 lambs sacrifice on the, at the Passover festival that year in that temple. 255,000, I think he had it down to like 255,600 lambs that were sacrificed. Is that not crazy? Can you picture that? How, much, how many animals, how much blood was shed 
And how sad is that too, that these people are taking these animals and they're sacrificing them, but that the realization not yet coming that these animals cannot take away our sin so that Jesus, the Lamb of God, had to finally go and be the sacrifice once and for all for us. And so all of this sacrifice, all this selling, all of this happening so the Jewish people could go and they can make their offerings. And see, it was all taking place in the court of the Gentiles, these outer courts. And so Jesus comes in and he sees this. He comes in and recognizes like, this is not right. This is not how it's supposed to be. And he comes in, and he begins to overturn tables and he begins to tell them, don't you remember what Isaiah, the prophet said? He said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And yet you're turning it into, and he uses another quote from the prophet Jeremiah, den of robbers. What was he so upset about? I don't even think it was the, the selling of the house. I think the biggest thing he's upset about is that you are robbing the Gentiles of their place of worship. This is supposed to be a place that is symbolic of the God of the universe, a place where people can come and, and worship him. And I've told you very clearly in my word that it's to be a place for all nations, all those who have a heart to come to God. And yet you've taken up this space and you're going through a lot of religious activity, but you're not bearing any fruit, not the fruit that I told you to bear. And you're being very deceptive in what you're doing. He's saying you're hindering these people from coming. When you look at the fig tree, it looked leafy, it looked green, it looked like it should produce what it was intended to produce, but he gets there and it's barren, there's no fruit. He comes to the temple. There's a lot of religious activity taking place. And yet he looks, and he's like, this is, there's no fruit here. There's no fruit here. He's like, look at what you're doing. He's like, this isn't right. But then I take that one step forward and y'all, I mean, just to be honest and just to share my heart, it's also a real picture of the church today. There's so many ways the church is barren. The church, just like that fig tree, full of potential, full of purpose, just like that temple, full of potential, full of purpose, just like the church today, full of potential, full of purpose. And yet we forfeit that so much. We settle for this religious activity. We get in our groups. I mean, my, my gosh, look around right now. We all, almost all look alike, right? It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way. We settle for religious activity. We come in and go out. We come in and go out and nothing seems to change. But listen, this should be a place where God works through his grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because of his love for us, he works in such powerful ways that this is a place that people in the community even know. If I go there, they can point me to hope. See, now this is the temple. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 
The, the apostle Paul tells us this, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You and I, like individuals, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God resides in us. But in 1 Corinthians 3, he tells the whole church, the, the corporate body, he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. What's he mean in that? He means like us together are also the temple. When you go to 1 Peter, Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 2, 5. He says, you who have come to the living stone, meaning Jesus, you also, like living stones, are being built together into a temple. And through this temple, there are spiritual sacrifices that are to be offered. In other words, worship is to come up. Now, here's the truth, that when we're out and we're about, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the same Holy Spirit resides in us. But there is something that when we gather to worship God, to lift up the name of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit operating amongst us, listen, there is something about that that gives the fuller picture of God. And it should be the place where people can say, if I, those people, they can tell me where I can find hope. They can show me the way. Listen, Jesus, the way. They can show me the way to life, the truth, the life. They can lead me to truth. power of God operating and moving amongst us, the grace of God moving amongst his people, that this is a place of hope that, listen, people from all backgrounds, all walks of life, all ethnicities, all socioeconomic, you know, uh, situations, whatever it is, they know that this is a place to go and connect with God. We started this church, whole purpose of it was to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. Whole reason we exist. We've been through some ups and we've been through some downs, but my heart is that that would never change. Whether people are getting saved in here or people are getting saved in the workplace, whatever it is, that our heart is to connect unbelievers to God, connect them to each other, see them connected, equipped, and sent out into the world to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. God has been faithful in that, but we need to make sure like our hearts are still there. That our desire is still that those who seem the farthest from God realize that they're not too far for his arm to reach them, to save them. A place of hope, a place for them to connect with God. And see, here's the thing though. If that's going to happen, we have to be a place where people can be open, where people can be transparent, where people can be authentic, where we don't have to act like we have it all together. And if we're going to be a place like that, then that starts with us. That means that we can't walk in here and pretend everything's okay and leave with the same baggage that we came in with. Means that we need to, in our own lives, realize that Jesus wants us to be whole, that He wants to heal. I'm not going to look, but right now there are several people within the first three or four rows up here that Jesus has worked in their life because I know them to make them whole. Still in the process, but being made whole. Still being healed, but but they're being healed. And you know why? Because they're willing to be open and honest and vulnerable. 
They're willing to not act like they've got it all together. And see, here's the thing that we've got to realize. When we look at this, this picture of this temple, and you've got these different courts, you've got the court of the Gentiles. They were so serious about the Gentiles not coming any further into the temple that they had signs on the wall that I'm going to paraphrase that basically say this, hey, Gentile, you come past this wall, we'll kill you. It was punishable by death. And yet here's the cool thing about this, guys. The Bible tells us that when Jesus died, that wall was torn down. The wall was torn down between the Jews and Gentiles so that we become one community, one community of people being made whole, one community of people to represent the hope of the world, Jesus Christ, one community of people to point people to how they can connect with a holy God through Christ. One people. But that wasn't even all of it. Listen, the reason that that can happen is because that wall around the Holy of Holies that kept people from coming into the very presence of God, of what it symbolized and what it meant. The Bible tells us that this, this curtain that was in that Holy of Holies that separated um, the Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God from even the one priest that would go in. The Bible says that when Jesus breathed his last breath, that that curtain was torn from top to bottom. Those walls also torn down because of Jesus. Because he took our sin. See, the Gentiles are seen as dirty. They even, Jewish people even called them dogs. They were seen as less than human. But Jesus took our filth upon himself so that we could come into the Holy of Holies. We talked about that last week, that we can come boldly before his throne of grace. Why can we do that? Because Jesus tore that curtain, because now we have the righteousness of Christ that we could have never attained on our own. And now God says, you come to my throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in your time of need. But you know what? It's hard to get help for a need if you're not willing to admit the need. You can't be helped if you won't admit the need. And we have perfected the art in the church of coming in and going out like we've got it all together, knowing that many of us in this room right now are dying on the inside. Knowing in this room right now, there are marriages that need help. Knowing in this room right now, there's parents freaking out because they don't know what to do with their children and they need somebody to help them. Knowing in this room right now, there's financial needs that, that, that nobody else knows about. In this room right now, there are people who you just lost a job or you don't know where you're going next. In this room right now, all kinds of things are represented. Our hearts are troubled in different ways, but we continue to carry the trouble and we continue to not have peace because we're not willing to admit the need. And we need to bring that before God, yes, but we also have to be a people that others know I can voice this to. Met with a lady a while back. She came in my office so anxious, so, I mean, could barely talk. She was so anxious. This has been pretty recent. And I'm sitting there and we talk and I didn't have any magic words. Mostly what I did was listened and encouraged. And you know what happened is, as we talked, really as she talked and shared, and I just identified with it. 
I just heard it. Her anxiety began to go away. And she started to leave. And you know what? I, I said, look, I said, do you realize how less anxious you are right now than you were when you walked in the door? And she said, yeah, because I just had somebody I could share it with. There's something powerful about that, about admitting our need. And that's what the body needs to be is a place where we can admit our need. Why won't we admit our need? Why won't we admit it? Ma'am? Pride. pride. Anybody got some pride? See, here's, here's, here's the, the, the church's issue, though. We're really good at talking about repenting of sin. Like, you drunkard, you need to repent, right? Fornicator, repent. I'm not making fun of it. This is the kind of things we, we hear. You know, greed, envy, jealousy, idol worship, all of these things. Repent, repent, repent. But what the church doesn't often hear and what we need to hear is we also need to repent of our self-righteousness. This acting like we have it all together when we don't. This feeling like I can do this on my own when we can't. And what keeps us from admitting that? What keeps us living in self-righteousness? Our pride. Because I can't let people see. I can't let people see that I'm not perfect. Guess what? We already know. Right? And so does God. And yet God when we were enemies of God, the Bible says he sent his son for us. How much more when we come to faith in Christ and we put our life in him and trust in him, how much more does God love? I mean, he can't love us more, but how much, even in our mind, doesn't it make sense that if he loved me when I was his enemy, that he loves me now that I'm his son? But our pride will not let us admit it. Our pride won't let us ask for help. How many people are in here right now and you're struggling with depression? But you're a Christian and Christians can't have depression because we're supposed to have the joy of the Lord. And so you won't ask for help. You won't share. You won't let people come into your life and surround you because you have this pride built up that I shouldn't deal with this. I should be stronger than this. Well, guess what? If, it, if you're weak, then that means I'm weak because I struggle with the same thing. And we're just afraid. Our pride will not let us admit it. We can do some really stupid things because of pride. Really, really stupid things. How many of y'all were here the night we had the wrestling thing going on? Some of y'all made it to that? That was a lot of fun. That night, I got to be the guest referee. They called me the Pope. So I got to be the guest referee. And so I got a clip from that night that I want to show you um, of me being the referee and just a little probably 35 second segment of that night. So check this out. Thank <laughs> you. 
so the funniest part of that to me is the people in the background, right? Somebody's like, oh, he's got a chair. Oh, no, not Brandon. This is making me nervous. And then the person who you can hear their voice two times, he's a father, right? I'm like, I didn't know I was Catholic, but hey, that's okay. And so I was just glad somebody was concerned. Um, and so let me give you a little background on how that all went down. So they set up the ring, and we're back here, and I'm talking to the guy who uh, runs it. He's a, he's a really cool guy. And he comes up to me, and he tells me before uh, everything gets going, probably about an hour before everything gets going, he goes, so where's the chair we're going to hit you with? I'm like, I don't know. Where's it at? Are we really doing that? And I was kind of excited. And he's like, are you willing to do that? I'm like, yeah, I'm willing to do that. Why was I willing to do that? Because we know that wrestling is, nah. And so I'm like, yeah. So he's like, well, we need a folding chair. I'm like, I, you know, I th we found out there was some, they were out there in the, in the shed over there, the little metal building. And so I go out there and I find one. Now these things are probably built in the 1950s because they are solid, thick metal. And I bring it over there and, and we're standing right back here in this hallway, me and Reed and this gentleman. And he says, do you want to see how it's going to feel before you go out there so it's not a surprise? I'm like, yeah, let me give it, give it to me. He's like, well, I won't hit you as hard as I will out there first. I'll let you just kind of get a feel for it. I'm like, cool, because I'm like, I want to see how they do this, make it look real without actually hitting me hard. And so he's like, all right, bend over. So I just do like this, and I look up, and he goes, no, 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 no. Don't look up. I'm like, okay. He goes, the last guy that looked up ended up with stitches in the back of his head. I don't want that to happen to you. All right. So I've been on over. He takes it. He's like, all right, this is just to kind of give you an idea. And he hit me with the chair. This isn't even full speed. It felt like he knocked my sternum, I meant my, my spine, out of my chest. I thought like my heart was laying on the floor. That's how hard it felt. It was like a slap. It was a, and I stood up and I know I had to have a surprise look on my face. And I was like, that was a wallop. And he's like, you think you can do it? No, I can't. Do it. Yeah, I can do it, right? I wasn't going to say no. He's like, well, you want to see how, how it's going to really feel when I hit you, you know, full speed out there? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So I bend over again. Hawaii! It knocked the breath out of me. I didn't want him to know that, but he's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah. It's probably 45 minutes before we actually have the, the matches start and I start refereeing. I promise you, this is no lie. At least 10 times I started to walk up to him before the match started and say, I can't do this. It, it dented that chair on my back. I was thinking back, I'm like, I could have organ damage. Like it hurt that bad. And so we come out here, he hits me the third time. Y'all, it, it hurt. Like it, it wasn't hard to act that part out. Um, I understand why now wrestlers get mad when people say it's fake. I had a, a little boy, he's probably five, six years old, come up to me afterwards. He goes, it hurt when they hit you with that chair? I say, yeah, it hurt. He goes, that didn't, it's all fake. I'm like, I will smack you, <laughs> right? 
Because it ain't fake. It might be choreographed, but it ain't fake. I can tell you, we went to the beach. I had bruises on both sides of my back for like two weeks. We went to the beach. It was like that scene from Tommy Boy where the waitress walks up. He's like, not so much here or here, but right here. She's like, oh my gosh. Every time I turned around, somebody hadn't seen it. They're like, oh my gosh, what happened to your back? Fell down some steps. But, but why would I do that, right? Why would I do that? Why would I go through all of that? I didn't want to say no. It was my pride. Like literally, I didn't want to do it again. I'm like, I ain't punking out now. Hit me again. If he done it four more times, I probably would have let him. Just not wanting to admit it. Like, I don't want to do this. How stupid is that, right? But we all let pride take advantage of us in different ways to drive us to do things we don't want to do. And listen, in regard to what we're talking about today in admitting need so that the grace, the power of God can begin to heal and make whole. Listen, the, the pride, the stupidity of it is coming in and going out, going to a small group, just living life, knowing that there's a place to get help and not getting help. Because I don't want to admit it. I'd rather stay in this situation, in the darkness I'm currently living in, than to find hope in life through God and his people. And guys, listen to me. We're in that time of year in church world, the calendar kind of runs from August to July. It, it kind of functions that way, where, where people start settling down when school gets back in. And understand this, we are in a time where in the next few weeks, we will have tons of people walk through these doors. And you know what they need to find? They need to find hope. They need to find grace. They need to find love. They need to realize that no matter where they've been or what they've done or who they've done it with, that there is a God who can save them, a God who can heal them, and a God who can make them whole. Let me read this to you in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 very beginning of the chapter, verse one. It says, another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath was the day of rest for the Jewish people, right? We still um, observe a Sabbath. I hope you observe some Sabbath um, during your week, a day of rest. We weren't intended to go 24-7. But on this day, they had come up with all of these man-made traditions of things you could and couldn't do. You could only walk so far on the Sabbath. There were certain things you could do as far as around your house on the Sabbath. You, you couldn't do a lot of things on the Sabbath. And, and so they're watching Jesus to see if he will heal this man on the Sabbath because according to their tradition and their way of thinking, this is wrong. So it says, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. All right, pause. Put yourself in this situation. You're in a synagogue. It was their place of worship, much like this. Now just think about this. What if I just went, you, right? And it was you. And I said, come stand up here. Come stand beside me. We're gonna expose something that's wrong with you. And then, but don't worry, it'll be okay. Who'd have a panic attack? right? Can you imagine how uncomfortable 
this would have been. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. See, they're more concerned that the, 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 the God of life, the giver of life is in front of them. They're more concerned about their religious tradition than they are seeing this man healed and made whole. He looked around them, at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Now think about this. If we're gonna be healed, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. We have to be trustworthy so people will be vulnerable. We have to be transparent. We have to admit our need. We can't let pride get in the way of that. Think about this man's situation. He's called in front of everybody in this synagogue. And Jesus calls him up. And we know from the same account recorded in Matthew that he had two hands. It's not like he only had one hand. So Jesus presents him with his choice. He says, reach out your hand. Now in this moment, think about this. This man has two options. One option is I can stretch out my good hand and I can show it where it doesn't look like there's any issue, no problem, nothing's wrong. Or I can take a risk and I can stick out this hand that's shriveled. It's not as it's supposed to be. And in that moment, he's got that choice of which one he's going to do. And the man reaches out the shriveled hand. He stretches it out before Jesus and the hand is fully restored as the other one is what Matthew said. But what if he wasn't willing to admit the need? There was something about Jesus as he's standing there that he realizes, I can take a chance. I can take a chance. But now guess what? We are the body of Christ on earth. When people come around us, do they realize I can take a chance? When they gather here with us, I can take a chance. that we can be healed, that we can be made whole, that we can be made right, that we can be saved by the grace of God. See, this is something that we all are a part of. It's not just for the professionals. It's not us and them, it's us. And my prayer is that we will always be that body of Christ that represents that grace, that love, the ability to transform, right? That the power of God would flow through us, that they would know it's a place to find truth and life. That in your encounters in the community, it's truth, it's life, the way to God.
I want to spend some time just this morning as we finish up just to pray. Um, The first thing I do want to do, though, is give you an opportunity to acknowledge your faith in Christ today. If you walked in the doors today and you weren't a believer, you did not have faith in Jesus, you were unsaved. But the Lord is speaking to your heart. You know that the Lord is drawing you. Is That when you hear things like that wall was torn down between you and God because Jesus took your sin, there's something that resonates with that. You never surrendered your life to Jesus, but you realize today, like, that's where God's calling me. It's to faith, much like Nelson. His testimony is, I resisted. Even signed up for baptism. We call him, I ain't calling him back, right? Man, today is a day of salvation. Today is the opportunity to go from death to life. And if the Lord is speaking that to your heart, then this morning, we want to celebrate that with you. We want you to acknowledge the need, right, for Jesus. And then we want to walk beside you as you walk this journey out. But I'm going to ask you to take a bold step. Today, the Lord's calling you to faith in Christ. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We do this here not because, not because we want to embarrass you, but because it's something to be celebrated. It's not an embarrassment. This is the greatest thing that could ever happen. So today you're going from death to life. You're saying, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. Today you have come to faith in Christ. Would you stand to your feet and say, today is the day of salvation for me. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to ask some of our prayer folks if they'd come up. I want to pray. If there's something we can pray for you about, then you come and allow us to pray for you. When we're done, when I'm done praying, you're, you, you, you know, you're dismissed. But listen, don't come in and go out. Not admitting a need. Not asking for help because of the pride of what somebody might think. Let's be real about this. There's not a perfect person in this room. But we have a perfect God and a perfect Savior and He's able to make whole. Father, I thank You for this morning, for the truth, Lord, of Your Word. God, Your Word even tells us that the Word itself is like medicine to our bones. It heals, makes whole. I pray, Lord, for those who are here right now who have a need, who have a need. I thank you, Lord, that you meet us at that point of need, just like you did with Isaiah, Lord, when he saw you and he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, Lord. You took a coal from the altar and you didn't touch him anywhere. You touched his lips. A foul-mouthed man in a moment became a prophet to the nation. Lord, I thank you this morning that you meet us at that point of need. 
Father, I pray right now I pray, Lord, for, I pray for the person right now, Lord, who's here, who they're struggling with this self-image. They're struggling with who they are, what they look like. person who feels like if I could be anybody else, I'd do it today. Lord, I pray for them right now that they would know how loved they are. God, that they would know that through faith in Christ, they are your son and they, or they are your daughter. Lord, I pray for the person today who's too prideful to admit their need. Lord, I pray that that pride would be broken, that they would see the hope that is in you. And Lord, that they would come to you. I thank you, Lord, that you do run to us with arms wide open, that all we have to do is turn. Even when we feel you are so far away, all we have to do is turn. Thank you for that. I pray for the marriage right now, Lord, that seems to be coming apart at the seams. Pray for your healing power. I pray today that there would be a glimmer of hope, Lord, that that wall that's been built up between, Lord, that it would be torn down. Would you do that, Lord? Lord, I pray for the person with a medical need here today for your healing to be upon them, Lord. God, would you meet with them and heal them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet through the power of your spirit, making them whole, Lord. We thank you for that. Lord, thank you for your presence with us, your faithfulness to us, your grace, God, that does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Lord, let us be mindful of that. Let us set our mind on things above, upon, on you, Lord, as we leave this place. We love you, Lord, and we praise your name. In Christ we pray, amen.